Whitney Walker, and this is the Women Waken podcast, where I interview guests who are in the field of healing and spiritual work using their unique gifts of the divine feminine. We talk all about these amazing gifts that these particular guests have and how they're bringing them forth in the world. On this episode, I welcome the lovely Kayla Vaughn Eggdom. Kayla is a health coach, podcaster, author, energy healer, and spiritual seeker. She's the podcast host of the Slay and Thrive podcast and author of several books related to eating disorders, healing and recovering from trauma, and exploring and understanding our sexuality. Kayla's story includes struggle with weight and binge eating since seven years old and two decades trying to fix her weight by treating herself like a problem to be solved and realized that the true solution is in doing the deep inner work using body image and emotional eating as a catalyst for personal transformation. On this episode, Kayla and I get deep into our mutual experience and understanding of struggling with eating disorders, sexual promiscuity and exploring our sexuality, the power behind those two aspects and the connection between sex, food, and love. We have an engaging and in-depth conversation that will lead to many more collaborations. So take a listen, enjoy, and here's my guest. Hi, Kayla. Welcome to the Women Waken podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. Absolutely. Kayla, thank you for being a trooper. And you jumped into this interview kind of at the last minute. I had someone cancel and we had been going back and forth about trying to find a time for us to connect and get you on the show. And I was like, hey, do you want to be on it tomorrow morning? And you were like, yeah, I'll be there. (laughs) So that was really cool. I appreciated that. Yes. And like I said, my hiking buddies all bailed on me last minute today. So it was clearly meant to be. There you go. See synchronicity fates aligning for us to be here, which is the stuff I love. (laughs) I I think that it, um, you know, it does happen that the people we're meant to meet will always find their way to us. And just at the right time, I was listening to something recently. I read a book. Oh, it was actually the Celestine prophecy. Have you ever read that? I haven't read that one. No. It's a really great book. I think it like came about in the nineties and kind of really like was shook a lot of people. Like you probably know the name. I know I did. Cause it kind of talks about like the shift that's happening in our world and on this planet right now, which is like recognizing that we are not just physical beings and there's more going on than just meets the surface than just like what can be seen by the eye energy stuff. And, Mm -hmm. And it said every single person you meet has a message for you and is meant to come into your path. And I think that's powerful because when you think about it, there's billions of people on the planet and you just happen to run into like the certain ones that you do. There's a reason. (laughs) I feel that also. And and actually a really neat practice I've started doing is keeping a synchronicity journal. So it's amazing. So when there are certain things that just fall into place or like have these really eerie connections, I'll like just make an entry in my journal and then like read them later and be like, how did those things like fall into place the way they did? So that's a cool practice I just have started. That is fantastic. I love that idea of a synchronicity journal because so so often we forget, right? Mm-hmm. So, but when you write it down, you can look back and, and, and think about it. Like a year later, you could be like, oh my gosh, of course I met that person that day because now we're working on this together. They introduced me to this person. So 
That's a fantastic idea. I love it. I love it. All right. So Kayla, you are a health coach. You're a podcaster as well. You're also an author and an energy healer and spiritual seeker. So we have a lot in common in our work, but can you share with us a little bit, sort of the the broader definition of who you are, what you're about and the work that you do? Yes. So I began my career in the health industry as a personal trainer. And that was back in 2014. So I did that for about six and a half years. And interestingly enough, getting that job actually caused a resurgence in my binge eating, which I thought I had under control. I'd been struggling with it since childhood. But that particular career actually reignited that challenge for me. And it caused me to go a lot deeper on my own journey of transformation and seeing how it wasn't simply about what I was eating and how I was working out. It was, there were a lot of deeper underlying things that were happening that were creating the conditions for binge eating. Mm -hmm. So through that realization and being in that career, I dropped deeper into exploring really the mind-body stuff and how the way we think and the way we feel and the way we do life affects the way that we eat and the way that we take care of ourselves. So I've done work at the Institute for the Psychology of Eating. More recently, I've also gotten into energy work, which has been such a powerful addition because like you said, it's not just like our physical bodies. There are energetic things at play and there are things that we are holding in our bodies from past challenges that manifest as what you might call self-sabotage or procrastination or all these things that have deeper reasons for being there. So as of, I believe it was the end of last year, I actually left my personal training job and really decided to go all in on helping people transform their relationship with their health their body and themselves on a deeper level mm-hmm. by applying not just the nutrition advice and the workouts, but these healing techniques, these deeper inquiries that people can do into themselves so that they can not just manage their food triggers or their 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 bad habits, if you will call them that, but actually allow them to evolve into this next version of themselves that no longer has the needs for the need for those particular behaviors. So that is uh, me in a nutshell. Fantastic. Well, thank you for that. And, you know, I, I appreciate that so much. And I, and I love that you had that sort of transition or sort of transformation in the way that you viewed things, because it is a powerful point. You know, I think, and it's a lot in sort of a personal evolution is when you recognize that so many of the things we do, you know, it's, it's, if you just try to address it at the surface level, you're never going to change it, whether it's a behavior or habit or a disorder or an addiction. You know, if we think like, oh, this, this one thing, I can apply it on the surface and it'll fix me right up. You know, we can try so many different things. And and unfortunately, that's tied to a lot of um, big business is people who can offer this like quick surface solution. Like, well, try this diet or try this program or try this and you'll be resolved. But what people are really trying to get to is something much deeper because anything that we're experiencing, like a eating disorder or any other sort of addiction, 
you know, it's, it's from deep rooted beliefs, trauma, different things that are, it's like the seed that's sort of creating this response. You know, you shared that you struggled with binge eating and I did as well since I was about 14. And you know, we talked a little about energy and I, when I was in the middle of a binge, it almost felt like I, like something had taken over me. Like it was almost like a feel, it was like such an energy thing where like something was just like, try, like, I don't know, I can't explain it, but it was like something just wanted out. Like, and all I could do was eat as a result. And I just felt like almost like possessed (laughs) sometimes. And, you know, I would be so embarrassed because, you know, again, I, I started binging when I was a teenager. So I would like be at parties around friends and I would literally just be stuffing myself with food. And I would have people comment like, what you're, you haven't stopped eating in like two hours. And I'm like, I know, (laughs) like, and I didn't know why, but for the, and it, it seems like such a strange thing to do. But at the time I felt so out of control. It's interesting. My mentor from the Institute for the psychology of eating, Mark David, he has a whole module on binge eating. And he talks about how in binge eating, there's a lot of power. And when I first learned about that, I'm like, no, it's the opposite of power. It feels powerless when you're doing it. Mm-hmm. But what's actually happening for people who have this particular challenge, there's a lot of power in them that they need to alchemize and transform. And a lot of that's emotion, a lot of that's frustration and and energy, right? It is power. It's like your personal power that we are never told how to harness, how to celebrate mm-hmm. so much. And here's another thing I feel like a lot of eating disorders and addiction is related to shame, right? Like shame we keep stored and shame wants to come out. It wants to say, it wants to be expressed and allowed to like, but when you step it down, that's when it becomes like toxic, right? Toxic shame. And so then you just have this power and energy and it, you do sometimes want to, you know, channel it through just because eating is something that feels so like um, tangible and solid, right? You're like, if I can't get this frustration out, at least I can just freaking do something that feels a little bit good and feels powerful. Cause it does. There's something about like, just literally grabbing all the food you could ever want. When also another caveat is that, you know, so often we, ha- we, when we're struggling with our weight and eating disorders, it's like, okay, I can only eat these things and I can only eat this much of this stuff. And there's so much restriction and rules around it that when you get into a binge, it's almost like you're unleashing yourself, right? And you're like, I can eat whatever I want. <laughs> and it sounds silly, but you're, it's true. There is a power there that wants to be come out that's a mix of so many things. And a lot of it, I think, is just our personal power that we don't know how to express otherwise. Mm-hmm. And another pattern I've noticed both in myself and in many of the clients I've worked with is if they feel powerless or trapped in a certain area, then binge eating is almost a way for them to, even though it feels out of control, they're actually like, I can eat whatever I want. It's like you said, right? It's, it's a, it's a form of power. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and I always also felt it was a little bit like a, um, sort of like a, a, like revolting against it's like, well, look at me, I'm going to do this and I can do, you know, like against all of that control and limitation. And, and I think that also just come back to, you know, I think it's a human condition, but I think even more so for women is feeling like we need to contain a lot of ourselves because we were, we were talking before the show, Kayla, about, you know, how I came about with Women Waken. And it's sort of the concept of women really being able to come forward with their unique feminine energy and divine energy that's not really welcomed. And so I think 
we feel like very like, Oh, well, I can't really show who I am. So then there's small moments when we binge where we're like unleashing ourselves when otherwise we feel like we don't know how, or if we're allowed to. Mm -hmm. That's a very good point. Um, because I've noticed that too, both in like health and now more recently in business, there's such masculine, like fixing strategy, numbers oriented mm -hmm. world and that like feminine softness and feminine power because feminine energy is so powerful, isn't as well received or as celebrated. And I love that you're doing this work because it needs to get out there and like people need to see that the feminine is as necessary and vital to everything as the masculine. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's, and it's about using both because, you know, I, goodness knows I have a lot of masculine energy. Like to me, that's the part that's like ready to create and put things in place. And whereas the feminine more so understands like the need for being grounded and rooted. But I think a lot of the feminine strength is knowing like the need to like almost like hold space and represent like what is so, you know? And I think like, that's, what's missing is because in this world, we've really lost, lost touch with our souls. We're much more connected to our egos and production rather than like our souls and rooting and grounding. And the feminine is, is her power comes in saying like, this needs to be seen. This needs to be respected. And I feel like that's also, you know, when we feel sort of like an uprising from like mother earth herself, I feel like it's this frustration, like that, that same frustrated energy from the earth. That's like, you can't do this. You can't just act as if there's a disconnect between your daily life and the world you live in, right? The, the earth that you walk upon, the nature, the ecosystems that you are within, because we act as if like we can just do whatever we want. Mm -hmm. And we don't have to worry about our relationship with earth because she doesn't talk to us. And she, well, of course she does, right? We just don't listen. We pretend like, la, 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 I can do what I need. And, and that's, I think my biggest thing with the, the masculine aspect of the world now is I think there's, there's such a turn away from any of those things and right. Like the connection with earth the connection with nature, it's all kind of like washed away as like, Oh, that's hippie. That's like woo woo stuff. That's like, we don't have time for that. We're business people. We're men. We do stuff, not knocking men. It's not all men, but you know, that's like sort of, if, if we are going to talk about the patriarchy, I think that's the downside is that it's like, we need to focus always on growth and we don't have time for those who like want to be tree huggers and acknowledge the earth. Like we need to keep going, but it's like, well, what are we going towards? We're like off the cliff. Yes. <laughs> you know, Right. It's, it's that conquering energy of the masculine, yes. which often comes with a very high price that we often forget to acknowledge. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, um, you know, I've talked about that a lot on the show and it's something I I've done like past life regressions and that kind of work. And that's something that's come up is like lifetimes I've had centuries ago where it was like the very inception of this energy where I was like trying to stand my ground and say, Hey, we don't need to go conquer these other kingdoms or cause I like, it was like back in the day of like medieval times. Right. And, but then like I had male presence around me that were like, yeah, we do. Like, we can't just sit where we are. We have to, if we don't go, we're going to get knocked down. We're going to get buried, left behind. And I think that's the, the mentality we have now. And I think that's why in general, there's so much anxiety on this planet is because there is this mentality that's all masculine that says, if you are not moving, then you will die. Kind of like a shark almost. Whereas the masculine or feminine is like, 
you don't die. There's no such thing as death. Everything just is. Existence itself is sacred and the most sacred thing and needs to be acknowledged. And we don't do much of that. So yeah, (laughs) I know that's a lot, but I guess my whole point is that it, it brings the reason why I do this work is because to me, this is the core of why things like eating disorders exist and anxiety disorders exist and addiction exists is because we don't address this missing piece, this like covered up sacred energy that is vital and not allowed right now. Mm -hmm. I believe the exact same thing because what I found in my own journey and just working with people is when they can let go of some of that masculine structure, not all of it because there are certain like guiding principles and systems that can work really well for people. But when they don't cling so tightly to that and they just allow the space to be their feminine selves and be in their bodies and feel what it feels like to be present and to take care of themselves in that more grounded way, it makes all the difference. And it is such a healing experience. Yes, absolutely. And Kayla, you have something you call the three core principles that really kind of help people to turn their their health and fitness journeys into more of a, a spiritual journey. And to me, that's kind of like what we're talking about is rather than seeing like, okay, if I want to be healthy and fit, then I need to get like the right diet and the right trainer and then everything will be resolved. But it's about actually looking at the core reason of why, because everybody knows about the diet cycle, right? Whether you're a binge eater or having, even if you don't have an eating disorder, most people know what it's like to have like weight fluctuation, that constant frustration of like, I can be like on my grind and do everything perfect for like a month. And then I just want to sit on the couch for two months and eat. And then I gain it all back and lose anything I gained. So many people are stuck in that cycle. And again, it goes back to all the businesses that profit from nobody actually getting resolved, but just staying in a cycle. But your approach is looking to actually resolve these issues. Because So can you share with us about your three core principles and sort of what, how you coach people now? Yes. So I would love to. And It's a great segue that we just talked about feminine energy because these three principles are very feminine in nature. Mm -hmm. So the first one I have is getting people to shift out of problem-solving mode, which is very masculine. If you've ever had like a man in your life, whether it's like a dad or a boyfriend and you go to them and you're like crying and sharing your problems, most of them are like, well, just do this or this or this, you know, just fix it. Just solve the problem that's very masculine. And we very often try to do that with like our eating or our weight, whatever it might be. But what happens when we focus on the problem, we're going to be in this chronic stress response because we're focused on this thing we don't like, don't want. And we actually don't just want the absence of a problem. We actually want something beyond that problem. We want to create something. So what I get people to do is instead of looking at their excess weight, if they want to lose weight, their binge eating, their health challenges, I get them to be really creative and expansive and ask them, so what do you want your relationship with your body to look like? Do you want to be super unapologetic and wear whatever you want? Do you want to have all day energy? Do you want to have these sustainable habits where eating healthy and making choices that are in aligned just become second nature. 
do you want to create this relationship with yourself where you have these other tools to manage your emotions without food? So I get them into that space of creating. And what happens when they're in that space is that any of those like quote unquote problems they had disappear as a almost a side effect. And then they're not in that space of feeling stressed, feeling unhappy, feeling resentful of whatever those problems were. Yeah, absolutely. And that is such a powerful tool because again, I think we're, we all get stuck in the quick fix, right? Well, it's like, well, I want to lose 10 pounds by next month for that wedding I have to go to rather than that big question, which is if you, you know, what kind of relationship do you want with your body, with food, with eating? What do you want your long-term plan to be? Not the next month where you do like a 30-day intense thing that will, you know, and God knows I've been there. I'm not knocking it. I'm not like mocking anybody because I've literally done that hundreds of times. The whole like on Monday, I start on Monday, my new diet again, I can reclaim myself. But it's over the years, I've realized that question that kind of like when you come to your knees, when you're deep in a disorder and you're like, God, what, what am I really wanting here? And I think also the question is, what am I afraid of? Because what I realized is I was so afraid of not looking a way that was going to be acceptable, right? Because it all comes down. I think any sort of addiction comes from fear that is usually based in not being lovable, not being worthy, not being enough, you know, having not being, um, not having anybody care about you, all those things, you know? And when you start to ask those questions, well, rather than just like fitting into that dress next month, what do I actually want for my life? You know, 10 years from now, where do I want to be? I'd love to be able to have a family and be a healthy example to my kids to have a healthy. And that was a big driver for me when I was getting over my eating disorder is like, I would, I really don't want to be, you know, around my kids and, and have be an example of someone who's very, you know, intimidated by food or scared of food or has, has a strained relationship with eating. And, you know, and that it's a hard thing to do. I think there are very few people who have a healthy relationship with food. You know, it's one of the number one things that we can abuse because it's, we have to do it every day. Right. But it's also delicious and amazing. It's also a great way to celebrate, you know, Oh my gosh, I, I passed this test. I'm going to go get like, let's go out for, you know, for cupcakes and ice cream and pizza. And like, it's just such a, a means to soothe yourself. Right. And you said you help people to actually, you know, how do we get past again, the immediate need, which is I feel sad. I feel lonely. How do we learn to actually be with our feelings rather than try to cover up or soothe our feelings with externals? Sounds like you help people to kind of more reach our feelings directly. Yes. And that was a huge pivotal part of my own journey was learning to face my emotions without food. And that was such a scary thing for me for a very long time. I had an ex who didn't understand the binge eating thing, didn't know why I couldn't just stop and asked me like, what if you just felt your feelings? What's the worst that would happen? And I just started crying. And I I was like, I just can't. I thought they would like swallow me alive. Yeah. So what I ended up doing was I was given this really great emotion coaching process by a counselor. And I realized that if I wanted to get really good at using this tool, I was going to use it every day, even if my emotions were very small, even if 
I was just minorly irritated by something a coworker said or whatever it might be. So I practiced that skill every single day for months on end. And what actually happened after doing that was I realized that I was in a relationship that wasn't the right fit for me. And I was about to marry that person. Yeah, that, that, that's a big feeling. That's a big feeling that we'll want to like, not that it's kind of inconvenient, right? Those, yes. those inconvenient feelings. Those are like, if we're in a relationship or in a job that we are like headlong into, and we realize our soul is trying to say no, but we're like, no, please. That's too much. That's too hard to face. That's too hard to recognize. I mean, that's wow. So what did you do? So this was actually during the pandemic. And I ended up being able to have the very hard conversation with my partner and share the reasons why it wasn't working. And I was initially met with some resistance um, and they still wanted to make it work. They wanted things to, you know, turn out well. And they also wanted to buy a home. That was their big thing. That was their dream. Like they'd moved in with me. They felt like the home was mine because I'd bought it. So they said, Hey, I've waited long enough to buy a home since you're ambivalent. Anyways, I'm going to buy a home. You can come with me or not. So then it kind of felt like I was almost like, and, and maybe it wasn't intentional, but it felt like there was an energy of wanting to like trap me by getting me into a joint home together. Um. So just, I continue to like do this work on my emotions and do that soul searching and like hold the space for myself. Eventually, um, she talked to her parents about this and wanting to buy a home. And they told her that they would not help her buy the home if my name was on the title, which is totally fair. Like I respected that. I didn't want something to go wrong five years down the road and then me take some of their investment into the home or whatever. So I told her at that point, I can't be the reason you don't get your dream home. Like this is your biggest dream. Like I need to let you go because it's in your best interest. And she was able to like buy her like dream townhouse. It was this beautiful place um, in the exact location she wanted. It was like walking distance to work. Um, So we were able to part ways very amicably, which was really nice. That's good. That's good. But that, it, that wouldn't have happened though, if you didn't tap into that feeling that was, cause it sounds like if you wanted to, you could have just gone along with it. Right. Like agreed to go ahead and mm-hmm. get in on that dream house and that dream life that was kind of their vision, but you were feeling like it wasn't right for you. It wasn't. And then the other thing was I had developed feelings for someone else and never, never acted on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after this relationship ended, um, everything just unfolded really beautifully. And now I'm engaged to the love of my life, my soulmate. And it's, and none of that would have happened if I hadn't chosen to look at my emotions and face them and like get really, really good at it. So yes, yeah, this work doesn't just change your body. It changes like your entire life. Yeah. Well, cause you're releasing all this stuff that's kind of kept you, I feel like held back and sort of, cause anytime you have stored emotion, it's hard to be accessible 
accessible to receiving new energy, accessible to give your energy. Also, I often use the analogy that's sort of like being a lighthouse without your light on. Like when you're like stuck in emotions, it's like you're high, you're kind of shielding things. So your light's not showing, but once you like let yourself be free, your true light shines. And I think that's when people meet their soulmates, their partners is when they're like, hello, this is me. And people are like, oh dang, that's what I've been looking for. It's you. <laughs> when otherwise we can attract people who aren't, they don't, maybe they're not drawn to us for our unique light, but for other reasons. And then that's when it can kind of be like, something doesn't feel right here. Yes. And that's, that's the other thing is that I know I was not my most ideal partner in that relationship. I was numbed out with food a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. And I feel a little bit of sadness for not showing up fully for that person in that relationship. And I feel it's really, it was a gift for me to let them go, not only because now they have their dream house, but because now they are free to find that person who is like their love of life, their soulmate. And they're going to realize like maybe the, the breakup was painful for them. But at the end of the day, when they find that person, they're going to be like, this makes sense now. And that's what I really want for them. So, yeah. Yeah. And that's wonderful. And, you know, as you described, I think that I would say, I mean, there's, there's so many things that that cause great emotional distress and turmoil, but okay. I will say for myself that when I've had relapses in my eating disorder in recent years, it was often related to romantic experiences. Cause I think there's something very powerful. I mean, obviously there's a powerful thing, right? It's two humans connecting in the most intimate of ways and really putting yourself out there. I mean, of course there's times where we don't fully show ourselves to others, but you're usually showing more of yourself to a romantic partner than you do to other people, right. To friends or stuff. And the feelings of maybe rejection or maybe like that, that feeling of, cause it's a unique thing when you have intimacy, but yet you're still almost lonely because they're not the right person for you. I know that that's been times where I've kind of like turned to food is where I'm like, I still like, there's something not right here. Right. Um, and then also rejection, like a big relapse for me was when I, a relationship ended and it, it, I've left feeling like I had just been dismissed and like that I wasn't good enough. And that's not feeling good enough is, is a really strong emotion and a painful one. Because again, it goes back to that core fear of maybe there's something so wrong with me that I can't be loved or I can't be accepted by others. And that's, I think, our greatest fear. Because to me, love is source, right? It's what the universe is. It's all made of love. So it's kind of the part of us that's like, well, shit, am I not a part of the whole? (laughs) Like, am I not like a sacred, you know, being just like everyone else? And I think that's what... um, sometimes romantic situations can lead us to is because we, we get so close to someone that we're like, well, they don't really truly accept me who will. Mm-hmm. That's a really powerful point is I think one of the most painful experiences we can have is that disconnection from source. And I think it can come in the form of those like fractured relationships. It can come from emotional and binge eating, which is very isolating and very numbing and, and I, I think often when we're in it, we feel like we're the only person who does it this badly or we're the only person who it's it's this troubling for because it's such a secretive thing for many people. Any of those things that like cut us off from that spiritual connection are going to be really challenging for us to handle at that core level. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that when we're in that space, 
Um, again, for me, that's when it was hardest not to engage in disordered behavior. You know, that's where the times that I did relapse with binging because I, I remember vividly, like when I was going through that, just trying, like I was so, there was something, it was almost like something was like, it was like I was jumping out of my skin. Like I just felt it was so uncomfortable to be with that feeling of like, oh my gosh, they didn't want me and I'm not good enough. And I, you know, I was, this was just a few years ago. So I was a therapist, like I'm supposed to be able to like, you know, work on these things, but I just couldn't. I would, I was running for food. I would literally race out of my house to go like, go to the store in between clients to like get some like food, right. To just get something that was like, like, I just, I felt like I needed something. Right. Which again, is that like departure from the self? It's like, I can't, I don't know how to just sit with this and embrace this. I want to run from this because it's too big and too scary. Mm-hmm. So I love that you mentioned that. And I think that's a powerful strategy for anyone to start to use is notice when do I turn to food or whatever yeah. else it might be? Yeah. What is the core belief that's coming up? What is the core emotion? What is the core situation? I know for me in more recent times, it's been when I felt like outside sources are trying to control me and stop me from doing something that feels right or mm. part of my purpose. And yeah. and that like sense of feeling controlled really causes me to contract and feel a lot of like repressed anger. And that's when those like compulsions come back. So yeah. anytime you can start to crack your own code and just become aware of what the patterns are, then when they come up, the thing is when you're first doing these, you, you still might turn to food. And then the goal is not to like judge or shame yourself. It's to notice and then start to just do the internal work at a pace that feels safe and right to you. And getting a therapist for this is amazing. I would not be where I am without some amazing therapists. So that can be another great strategy as well. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what I encourage in people all the time. And that's what I found for myself is because in those episodes I just described, that's what I was doing. Maybe I was going through the, like, if I knew I was going to binge, I, I mean, I'm a big believer that if you're, if when you're in it, like, don't like sometimes you just have to go with it. It's like, you can't. And I think that's hard for some people to admit or to encourage, but if you're still in the process of binging, you're in the process of binging. So be the observer, right? If you can just, okay, I'm going to do it, but let's see, like, what am I running from? What am I feeling in my body? What is, cause you know, if you, if you realize it, it's not a natural state, right? Like today I'm going through my day. I have no desire to binge. So something is happening, right? Something is, it's not a natural thing to want to just gorge yourself with food. So we say, okay, what's, there's a person here. There's a human here. There's a soul here. What's going on with it? What am I afraid of? And sometimes in the middle of a binge, we don't want to think those things, but at least like little noticings, like what triggered it? What, and when it subsided, like, how did you feel? And just so much observation and noticing because everything is a little step towards recovery, towards a more stable place where there's not that upheaval or that, you know, deep pain that we want to numb or push down. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So I'm so glad we're talking about this because I think, I think binge eating in particular is, is challenging because it can become also like your own little secret world, right? It's like your own thing, but it also has so much shame related to it. Cause anything with like 
eating or gluttony or anything that results in like gaining weight is like, so like, it's not sexy, right? It's not like, you know, if not that any addiction is sexy, but like, if you're, if you drink a lot, sometimes you can cover it up by just being like, you know, going out and being really fun and, you know, all these things. And like, maybe people could like, when you're restricting more, you can feel like, okay, well, this is making me feel like I'm more powerful because I can do this. But with binge eating, you, you just, it feels so defeative, right? Like you're just like, oh, like I have, I don't have control over this, and there's nothing glamorous about it except when I get to eat a lot of food. And I don't, I hope this doesn't sound bad, but it's just that's how I would feel, right? Like I'm just speaking from my experience that when I was in a place where I was like doing something that made me lose weight, it was destructive still, but at least I felt like some sort of like comfort in that. But when I was binging, I just felt like so down about myself, you know. And it's a hard thing. And once you sink into it, it's hard to get out of. So, And I think it's that shame spiral that actually keeps you stuck in there more than anything. Because being a personal trainer, starting to binge eat, I gained 30 pounds back while I was at my job. And then there was this shame of like, who am I to like coach these people when I have my own stuff over here? Um, I kept waiting for like someone to mention it and like fire me. Never happened because I had a good workplace. But there was so much shame. And like, even over the years, like there's been such a like amazing healing around binge eating. But then when it does resurface every couple months, there's this, this hold to like go back into that shame spiral and feel like, okay, I'm still not there yet. I'm still an imposter. I'm still a fraud. Instead of treating myself like a human who's still learning and figuring it out. Yes. And, and that's like been one of the things that I've tried to get better and better at is like allowing myself to be imperfect and even sharing some of the learning experiences that come out of each of those moments, because there always are lessons and breakthroughs that come from what someone might call a relapse. Completely. And I think it's really powerful. You know, I let, I let a, um, a eating disorder group, like a support group for many years. I volunteered through this wonderful organization called the EDRC, the Eating Disorder Resource Center, which is located in Campbell, California. But you can access their website anywhere, edrc.org. They have fantastic resources. And, you know, I was working with them when I had my relapse and I shared and I said, you know what? I know that I'm a therapist and I know that I'm, you know, I've been in recovery, but I relapsed. And it happens and you can still relapse and still be on your path to recovery, you know, because, because just as you said, are we supposed to like throw in our hats if we aren't like, if we're not able to like hit the bar of what we're sharing with others, you know, I mean, I'm a therapist and I, I can help people with insecurities. Does that mean that I never get insecure? Like, oh yeah, let me tell you how to work with this because like, I'm beyond that. Like, that's just not life. And I think that it's actually more powerful and that's sort of my purpose with this podcast is not to speak as an expert, but more so as just someone who's in the trenches with everybody else, but has an intention to like, let's all work through this together, right? I'm right here with you. I'm in the mud sometimes. Sometimes I'm standing up. Sometimes you fell down. Let's help each other out. Yes. And I feel the exact same way about my podcast is like authenticity is one of the biggest core values yeah. and never putting myself on like, a pedestal because I, I'm still learning and growing. And yeah. I think what's really beautiful is having like a community of people who are all learning and growing, who can see each other's blind spots, who can support each other. And almost just like this really beautiful sisterhood of everybody that's just on this journey towards their best selves. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's what people crave. People crave authenticity and realness. There's there's something about like when people speak truth, it's like the most beautiful sound. <laughs> it's like, like there's something I, so I am in recovery from drug and alcohol addiction and I started doing 12 step programs. I did AA and at first I was very resistant to it. And I was like, oh, I can't believe it's come to this. Like I have to go to meetings, like really, but it came to that. Like that's, I was, you know, I was that far down and I needed help. I didn't know how to do things without getting into a destructive mode. And I was resistant to the meetings until I realized like how beautiful it was to be in a space where everyone was just sharing their absolute candid truth. Cause again, there's something about, it just sounds so beautiful in a world. Like it's so full of, you know, veiled lies and little like manipulations and people, no one really speaking what's real, just like what might sound good. And like there, you know what I mean? Like there's, there's very little transparency in the world. Most people are trying to cover up a little bit so they don't, you know, totally expose themselves. But when people are just genuine and, and true, I mean, real healing is possible there in that space because then we're like, oh, I can share my stuff too and not pretend or not try to hide. Because it's, and I've talked about this on the show, is that any kind of illness is based on constriction, right? Like anytime you're trying to like hold things back, our systems never work well when we're, they're like blocked or constricted. And to me, when we're, when we're concealing the truth, we're constricting our true selves. But when we just let it out, we're free flowing and everything starts to align and, and get healthier. Right. Which just sounds again, like how you, when you help people with their fitness and health goals, you know, in the long run, that's why you ask those questions. Like, well, what do you really want? Well, I want a healthy, flourishing relationship with my body. Well, the more that you're aligned with that, the healthier you'll be. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. So I love that that's the focus of your podcast. Oh, because the other thing I was going to say is that when I've had times, like, again, with a bad breakup, I like, I like scoured the world the online world for any podcast that talked about breaking up and even like relapsing on or binge eating when you're dealing with like painful breakups and just different. Cause I wanted to hear from other people. Like, how did you get through this? How did you do this? What is this? Is there something wrong with me or have other people had this? You know, how do you deal with rejection? Why do people reject you? Um, I was just craving it. And so now that really is, and we were talking earlier, Kayla, about being, you know, podcast creators and how, when you start a podcast, you know, I think it's so great to just do it, to put it out there. But then you start thinking about, well, how do I finesse it and work with it so that it's the greatest channel of help towards others, but also fulfillment for myself, Get, you know, bringing forward my skills, but that they're landing with other people. And so I always think about, you know, myself when I was looking for these outlets, these people who are talking about the stuff that I really needed to hear and how I can offer that to others. And I think, again, it, it has to be based on authentic truth being expressed. Yes. And it's interesting because on one hand, it's, there's this idea of like, create the stuff that your target avatar or target listener or whatever wants and needs to hear, which I absolutely believe in. And I've also noticed that when I share the very real and raw things that I'm going through, those tend to be the episodes that land the most people. And that's when I get the messages. That's when I get the 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 interactions and the ones that like really are super well received instead of always like, what do I think people want to hear? I, when you just go and you share and you really do what you can to like put it 
create the experience for the listener to reflect on how that impacts them. That those, for whatever reason, those tend to be the most magnetic episodes, if you can call it that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's, it's people almost like hearing someone talk through their own experience, right? Like, Oh, you're going, you're like telling me what I'm going through. Like we're talking about the same thing, but you're not with me, but I'm like, I hear you relating to this, that you've experienced this and that you've realized some insights into this that I may not, may not know right now. Yes. Yeah. And that's why I love, um, I love having the interview style. I mean, I'd even love to one day, like have more of like a panel type show where it's like a group of people talking about a topic. Cause then there's so many different concepts that can be fired off and shared. Um, even like a live show where people can throw out, you know, like on live on YouTube where people can throw out questions and be like, well, what do you do when, you know, you're in the middle of like at a party and you start binging, like, how do you slow it, slow it down? How do you remove yourself? How can you like bring some peace? Um, just stuff like that, where you can offer people some, some guidance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that would be a really, um, interactive and fun experience for sure. And valuable. Yeah. Um, and then to shed a little bit more, like, again, we were talking about, you know, being podcast creators and we're talking about, you know, sort of the, the challenges. And cause I want to offer this to anyone listening, who's kind of wanting to look into like, maybe they have a topic or a, you know, profession or an expertise in something, but they don't really know, or maybe just like something they want to talk about. That's really all a podcast is. You don't have to be an expert. You just have to have something that you are passionate about and want to like bring together people to, to look at this same thing. You know, like there's so many podcasts about like movies, right? People love movies and just yeah. talking like movie reviews and all those, those podcasts are so popular. Um, but it, it can be difficult to figure out how to get it started and how to figure out how to get traction, you know? So you and I were kind of talking about like, what, how do you, you know, kind of start to find your way in terms of gaining an audience and having topics that feel like relevant and alive to people? Mm -hmm. So in terms of my biggest takeaways from doing this for a while, um, I think I started my podcast last year. One is like being consistent with like a schedule and getting an episode out once a week because I know that's something like my fiance mentioned, he'll find this podcast and he loves it. And then he's like, Oh, it only gets like one episode uploaded like a month or something. So I think that's a big thing is like knowing that unless you have like a hundred K following <laughs> to start with, the growth might be slow at the beginning and that's, and that's okay. And just celebrate the three to five people who start listening at the beginning and, and know that it will grow from there. Yeah. And um, I think the other thing I've noticed that's very interesting is that when my personal energy is off, when I'm like in a really low week or like in a slump, I weirdly get less downloads. And when I'm having like a really amazing week and I feel like super passionate about the episode I'm about to share and I'm excited, the episodes also do better. So I think it's being able to manage your state as well. Yeah. Um, well, it's all, it's energy, right? It's all like the energy and momentum behind it. And, and when you put out that positivity, then it's, it's, you know, people sense that, right. People are drawn towards that. Yeah. And then, oh, go ahead. I was going to ask what of your biggest sort of takeaways or experiences been as you've gotten started with your podcast? I mean, I think, so I'm about, I, I'm a little over a year in, and I think 
my motto is really slow and steady right now is just, um, cause you know, it is like a passion project right now. I'm able to still have my practice as a therapist. I would love to one day, like blossom this into like my full-time gig. Cause as we were talking about, like my favorite thing in the world is just connecting with people, conversing about ideas that are, I believe are important to the world right now and the changes that are happening in the world, because we are at a very pivotal, like phenomenal time in our, like in the human history, like there's a shift that's wanting to happen. There's something that's we're ready for. And I think change happens because people start to speak on it, right? The spoken word is powerful. You know, nothing ever comes into, you know, mat- never materializes until we first have the idea and then speak it. I'm going to create this thing. Whoa, I just said it out loud and now it can happen, right? We have podcasts because one day we're like, I think I want to start a show. And then we started acting and we told someone, I'm going to start a podcast. And I don't know about you, but the first time that's another thing I'll offer people. Okay. One is like slow and steady. As you said, like if you really believe in something and love it, then just keep doing it. And cause I'm a, I'm a sucker for like looking at the numbers and getting caught up in like, you know, is anyone listening to people like this? But if it's what you love and believe in, even if it's not, you know, getting momentum now, it doesn't mean that at some point, because how many things in life, like you hear about success stories where people do something for a long time and there's nothing, nothing. And then one day, bam, it just erupts, which reminds me of this great quote that is credited to Abraham Lincoln. I don't know if it was him, but it says basically like, um, or maybe it wasn't, he, he's the one who said like, if, if I wanted to chop down a tree, I would spend like 50 minutes sharpening my ax and then 10 minutes chopping it down. That's kind of like that, but it's, it's more like, like it's not the first hit that sparks the fire. It's like the thousands hit. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's the idea that like, just because like you're not, nothing's happening that's happening doesn't mean that there's not a fire just waiting to, it just, it's persistent. It's consistent. So I think those are key when you're trying to, even if it's not a podcast, but get your voice and your vision out. If you believe in it for the long run, then be in it for the long run and prepare yourself for the long run. And then the other part is also um, just going for it and speaking it. I started my podcast because I it was beginning of 2021 and I, I thought about it. It was something I had been thinking about doing. And then I was at a networking event, an online networking event. It was a spiritual networking group. There's probably like 200 or 300 women on the Zoom. It was a Zoom. And the woman hosting it at random picked like three people's name to speak to the entire group and talk about their business. Well, my only business is a therapist, not only like not to you know minimize it, but I'm not doing like some big spiritual offering yet. And she picked my name and I almost told her like, oh no, no, it's okay. But then I thought, you know what? I'm just going to say it. And I told the entire group, I said, hi, I'm Whitney. And I started a podcast. It's called the Women Waken Podcast. I'd love to have you as a guest reach out to me. And that's how my podcast started because then women reached out and I was like, yeah, uh, yeah, I'm doing a podcast and uh, let's uh, inter- I didn't know what I was doing, but <laughs> I just went with it. So I guess those are my two biggest tips is just like, if you get a moment, take it. Like if you have a chance, just do it, start it. Right. And don't worry too much. Cause it's, what do they say? Like getting, getting started is half the battle, right? If you just do that, then chances are you'll find yourself getting somewhere rather than just staying in like the thought space and then letting it be slow and steady. <laughs> Sorry, that was a lot, but yeah, that's what I've found. Definitely. And I love what you mentioned about the fact that you would do it anyways, regardless of the numbers. And just, if it's something that just like lights your heart up and it's self-expression, it's creativity, it's an outlet yeah. and you just keep doing it and doing it for that intrinsic value, along with knowing that you're impacting 
whoever's listening, like that's huge. And then I had another like fellow friend podcaster chatting to me about this. And he's like, even if only six people listen to your podcast in a week, that's six people that tuned in and could have had their lives changed by one little thing that was said. And that's really powerful to think about. It's so true. It's, and that's why I also believe in, in the spoken word and what's so wonderful about all the outlets we have now to hear other people's thoughts and ideas. Because how many times have you, like, whether it's you know a little short on Instagram or a podcast, that somebody says something and you find yourself going to sleep that night and you're like, wow, that was a really good point. And you, know, you and I doing our podcast, maybe we don't reach that many people, but there could be one person that was like, whoa. I really liked what they said. That really rang true with me. So, and that's powerful. Then we just little by little, all of us are doing our part, right? To hopefully inspire, to empower, to help others, to have freedom, to have healing, you know, to have well-being. And if you can do it in your own little way, then do it. Absolutely. And I I love that, like the power of one or the power of five or six or there's so smaller groups because I think we do live in a society now that's all about like the numbers, the masculine, the how big's my following. And I personally would rather have like a smaller following of people who are deeply touched by whatever it is that I'm saying than worrying about the like glamour and the influencing. Like if I could just like find my like tribe of people and never be on social media again, I'd be cool with that. (laughs) Right. I know I I took the leap this year. I was off social media for 10 years aside from LinkedIn, because that felt more like I can just like be very, it's very like detached LinkedIn. You're just like, this is who I am. If you want to contact me, contact me. But, um, I finally took the leap because I was like, I don't have my tribe yet. I feel like there's more people out there and I'm going to give it at least a year. I started in April. And then if I found enough people, maybe I'll come back. But, or if I find it, it, it's not, it's always like, you know, weighing out the benefits versus the costs, right? Is it taxing me more energetically or is it offering me more connection? And cause I, my gripe with it is that I feel like it does bring me more in my masculine where I do get like why didn't anybody like this post or like, how come there's not more, you know, views for this rather than just being like, cool, I posted something. I did what I love and I liked it and I'm good to go. And I try to be more in that energy. And sometimes I am, but sometimes I get pulled into that, that masculine. And and to your point, what kind of helps me stay um, away from that and more focused on my, my purpose is giving myself the acknowledgement of Cause it's always masculine to me is always reaching for what's next, right? Like we got to keep going, going, which again, growth is good. It's not all bad, but it's when it's only about growth that we lose our balance. We topple over. And so I remind myself if my life stayed exactly like this, I get to be a therapist, do the sacred work of seeing clients and do a podcast on the side that I have fun with and reaches people. I meet amazing people that I have as a guest and I get to speak about the topics that are important to me and my heart. If my life never changes, that's a good life. And that's okay. Because I think that the mentality of I've had a lot of my life is like, well, this has to change. I got to get to this point and this has to happen next rather than just being like, this is okay. You know, it just as it is, is wonderful. And I'm so grateful for it. Right. That's a really powerful practice. And it's one I often come back to, to get me out of too much of that masculine. Mm -hmm. Um, Because when I did like, find this like partner I have now, he was such a dream come true. And it was kind of like, I made this like bargain with the universe. Like 
because I had feelings from for quite a while before we got together. And then when my other relationship ended, I was like, universe, I swear, if I get this this man in my life as a partner, I'll never be unhappy again or ask for anything again. And 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 like now it's been better than I expected. And then sometimes I still am human and go into that place of like, this isn't working and I, I don't like this. And then I remember like, I already have won because I have this beautiful relationship. I Same thing, I get to like express myself creatively on a podcast. I get to help the people I'm meant to help and trust that the rest of my tribe is going to find me in the right timing. And I also actually really love building doors two days a week. Like my life's pretty awesome. Oh, that's so cool. You build doors like in homes and stuff like wood, wood doors. Um, I think they're, they're like the ones that like separate, like they're indoor doors for houses. Um, yeah. So when I left my personal training job, there was like a non-compete clause, which is very standard. And I had to find a non coaching related job for a year. And I found this job that is so much fun. Like we have targets we have to meet. So that that's where I get to be in, in my masculine. Like we've got targets, we've got numbers. I get to go do like build the solid core doors, which are like the heavy doors. Some of the guys there can't build the solid core doors, which I don't know, it kind of just <laughs> gives me some girl power energy. Yeah. But yeah, and and they don't usually let people stay on part-time. It's either full-time or nothing. Um, but I just decided to like make the ask and they were like, that's awesome. That is so cool. How fun. And and I love that you said that because I think it is, you know, I'm definitely a proponent of not, I never want to say never. <laughs> and I just did. I prefer not to say never because like, I don't like the idea of like, oh, we, we need to get away from the masculine. We can't have this. No. Oh my gosh. I just spilled my water everywhere. <laughs> um, it's okay. Um, we, it's important to be able to, because Okay. Here's another thing too. Like if you're in the middle of an eating disorder, it doesn't help to be like, okay, I'm going to stop doing this. And this is like, it's not how I feel. Like you got to kind of just be like, okay, this is what's going on for me right now. I'm having a really hard time controlling my eating or not restricting, like trying to deny anything. What you resist persists, right? If you try to keep pushing it away, if we try to say like, oh, well, I'm not going to be masculine. I'm just going to be like super grounded and super feminine. Sometimes you want to go like build a fucking door and like get into like your, you know, get like physical and like on, feel strong and feel powerful. And sometimes you want to like make shit happen. I'm all about that. I need my outlets where I'm like, fuck yeah, we're going to get this done this week and I'm going to do this. Like, that's okay. It's just everything is about balance, right? It's yeah. about incorporating both so that you're not, because then if you're only doing something for the sake of production, where are you going? What are you doing with everything you produce gets, it just gets left behind? Because it kind of brings us back to what we're talking about. If you can't love your life the way it is, if you can't sit in and be like, heck yeah, this is amazing. When you get the, the partner, when you get all that success, you're not going to be able to sit there either. You're not going to be able to be like, Oh, I made it. You're going to be like, okay, what we got to keep going. And that's the scary thing about our world now is the bar is infinite. I've had clients who they'll tell me this story. They're like, you know, I, I worked in the Bay area. Right. So I had many clients who were like, you know, millionaires who, and they would tell me, they're like, you know, I started out and I just wanted to make a million, but they would say, but let me tell you, you make a million and you're, that's old news. You need to make 20 million. You need to make a hundred million. That's the way the world is for the most part. It's like, what have you done for me lately? What do you got next? No one's really impressed because there's always more, right? There's always someone getting richer, getting more successful, having more power. And that's the big question I always ask is like, where is this going? Like there, if there's no limit, like we're just going to go infinitely into this pursuit 
anyway, so to me, that's why the feminine, because the feminine is the one that like brings us back to a center where it's like, yeah, go out, have your fun and grow, but don't forget about the base of it all. Mm-hmm. Yes, definitely. And on that note of the feminine, I, did we get your three cores? I feel like we only got like one or two and then we got into a lot of <laughs> different topics. Yeah, we got to the two. So the first was just being in that creative mode versus problem solving. Yes. The second one was building the skill of managing your emotions without food. And then the last one is getting to the root of the subconscious blocks that are keeping us from either healing from eating disordered behaviors or healing from or losing weight if that's a goal we have, which you know many women do have. Um, and that can be so many different things. A big part of that is we often have, there's often secondary intentions where we don't want our goal because we think it's going to cost us other things. Mm-hmm. And that can yeah. be a, a very powerful practice as well. Is that like, okay, if you aren't achieving a certain amount of health, energy in your life, if you get stuck in a certain place, what's really going on there? Why might you not want it? And I know I've done this work for myself. And one of the things that comes up often is I'm worried about being seen as like vain or arrogant or have to like show off too much because humility is another big thing to me. And I also worry that it might make me less relatable to people if I get too thin because then they won't think, oh, well, she's never had a weight problem. She doesn't get it. So there's that. There's always going to be these reasons below the surface. And there's also often different parts of us that might not want the goal to happen as well. Oh, yeah. Well, because we might identify so much with who we've been most of our life, which is the person who didn't feel enough, who felt like kind of a victim, right? Mm -hmm. And if you're in, even though we, we might claim like, oh, I just want to break free of this. It's kind of like the devil, you know, right? Like if you know this way of being, it's scary to think about, well, what if I don't have this anymore? If I'm actually successful and people actually listen to me and like, wow, she has stuff to say, how can I still claim to like, be like, oh, I can't do this because like, I'm not good enough. How do we actually like stand in your power, right? That's another great, great quote, which I think is by Marianne Williamson, which is sort of like, it's not our, you know, it's, it's not our inferiority that we're afraid of. It's our, it's our magnificence. That's not the exact quote, but it's something to that idea where it's like, we're not afraid of like our, how empowered we are or afraid of how powerful we are. Cause if we actually step into our power, like then we really have to, you know, be accountable for that. We believe in ourselves, that we believe in our message and to stand with it and, and be open to success and being seen. Right. I think being seen is a big thing too, where we're exposed and that leaves us, you know, open to some criticism and feedback. And it's about taking criticism and saying, okay, I hear you, but I still believe in me and what I'm doing. But I think just as you said, I think there's a subconscious part that there's part of us. that's like, I'm going to fight for the success, but another part's like, oh no, no, that's too scary. We can have that dual thing existing at the same time. Absolutely. Yes. And I know for me, I actually had a mentor talking to me in 2019. So this was years before I had finally decided to launch my own business. And I was sharing like, I want to help people heal from emotional eating and I want to do it this way, but I'm not ready yet because I'm still doing it myself and I still have this many pounds to lose. And she actually called me on it and she said, I think you're using your challenges with weight and food to not do this harder work. 
or something to that in a very loving way, but it was so true. And it, it, it was one of those things where I probably could have just put it off forever because I was never like fully ready and never had like the exact like level of full consistency that I felt was like appropriate at one point, which was really just a limiting belief that to be a leader, you have to be perfect. So there was a lot of perfectionism that needed to get healed as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, you know, we talk about finding, you know, sitting with the, how to like actually be with our feelings and sit with our feelings rather than trying to like fix them and getting through blocks. I think it's, you know, not just because I'm a therapist, but because I've done my own therapy, right? I've done therapy, I've done groups, I've done all of those things, different modalities. And they all work in different ways. They're all the, no, I don't believe there's like one solution for anyone by any means, but there's, there's so many offerings now. And there's something so powerful in, cause when you work with someone else, just as you said, they might point something out that you never noticed. And that's like the magic of that. I find in being a therapist is when you're that person and you're like, wait, but did you know, did you see this pattern, this connection? And this person's like, what? Like, I never thought about that. And you're like, well, I see it right there. It's clear as day from my perspective. So, cause people we're all a mirror to each other, right? Almost every client I've had, I can relate to, right? I I've seen myself in them. I've known their experience often, not always, not hundred percent. And so when we talk about, cause I want to offer our listeners, those who are like, well, how do I deal with these emotions? How do I sit with them? How do I get through these blocks? I think when you're at the point where you're ready to get help, One is, as we said, the first step is just observing and allowing yourself to, if you're still going through the behaviors, if you're still avoiding your emotions, just start to be mindful, observe them, take notes on it. Okay. I binged twice this week and it both happened after an embarrassing moment or a stressful situation, whatever it was, but then, you know, get help. So you can sit with someone because there's also, I think a lot of my greatest healing, a lot we do on our own, right. And we do our own practice of meditation of self-connection of, you know, establishing what it is that we're afraid of, what we've been hurt by. But then we take that to someone else who can hold the space for us to really be vulnerable and speak our truth and identify what what that pain is. Because any emotion is coming. Emotion is like the steam that comes up from a deep, you know, seated hurt, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like speaking to us. It's trying to tell us like, hey, this is like hard for me. And obviously not all emotions are bad. It can come from like a happy place, like a spark of joy or like a a point of sadness or like, you know, hurt, harm when we've been hurt, when we've been abused, any of that. Um, So when you work with someone else, you can do things that you can't do on your own. And that's why I encourage people who really want to make breakthroughs is is a therapist, is a, a spiritual guide, is someone who does you know, energy work or even, you know, people, therapists who do like EMDR, that's really powerful brain spotting. There's so many things available now where you can go and say, I have these feelings that I just cannot sit with. And so I go to drugs or I go to food and I really want help. And it's no, there's no like quick fix, but you can start to like, be like, wow, that really is there. It's real. And I, I am a big advocate of inner child work where you really kind of like Mm -hmm. go back and visit the the part of you that experienced a trauma or a hurt and really like consoling that. Cause then it's almost like you're freeing that part of yourself. That's kind of stuck in there. Yes. Um, it's interesting. I think um, I have a book that's coming out hopefully 
in the oh, next cool. month. Oh, cool. You got a book? Yeah. That's awesome. I do. Um, but the dedication, like, because it's sort of like my memoir mixed with self-help about just all the things I've been through with food and my body and sexuality. Um, the dedication, I think there's like seven or eight different mentors that I just dedicated it to for different reasons because they all played some kind of a role in my healing and in my transformation. And I believe for most people, especially if there's a lot of deep rooted things, mm-hmm. it's going to take a village and just finding like your right healers, counselors, mentors. It's amazing how you can draw these different things from all of them and get this exact healing that you were meant for. And we kind of talked about that um, a little bit, how the people who were meant to find or who are meant to find us will find us and they all have a lesson for us. Yes, that synchronicity where once you open yourself and because really once you set send something out to the universe, it'll offer it. When you say, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready for someone to help me on this next step, this next chapter, this next pursuit. You know, be be open, be open and keen to who shows up. Cause you might be like, well, that was a random person that contacted me, but think about it. Like, well, maybe it's not so random. Maybe it's someone who can really help you. Listen to what other people talk. If someone's like, oh, I just started seeing this, you know person for this. Maybe it's a psychic. Maybe it's that sort of thing. Like that can be really helpful too. Sometimes it's past life work we need to do. Sometimes it's like deeper, more just, there's so many things. So yeah, just being open to whatever comes, even if it's not, you know, something you're familiar with or traditional. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's so exciting that you wrote that book and that you have that out there because, you know, again, as I spoke to earlier, I, and when I was younger, like in high school and college and just so deep in my eating disorder, where I felt like that frustrated feeling, you know, that feeling where it's like, you just can't get away from it, you know? And I think eating disorders are, well, any addiction is that way. But for me, eating disorder was the strongest because at least for me, when it was drugs and alcohol, when I was done, I was done. And I was like, I am cutting this out of my life. I am sick of it. I am done. But with eating, it was like, just this like, prayer on my knees all the time. I was like, can this please go away? I am because eating disorders are exhausting. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something I want to give people credit. If you're going through that is like, it is absolutely exhausting. And it's not something that is in your control. We've lost, we've lost control a long time ago. And we, again, it all comes down to these feelings that are so powerful and overwhelming that we can't just be like, okay, I'm just going to eat normally. You know, I remember being stuck in that place where I was like, why can't I be normal? Like, where do things keep going wrong? <laughs> I just couldn't do it. And it's, and you know, I was in despair so much. So when people share their story, which I would love to share mine, but it takes a lot of work to write a book. So kudos to you. That's amazing. Um, it's so important. And it's so important for so many people to share their story because everyone has a little bit of a different offering that needs to be heard. That's going to help somebody. Yes, for sure. And if you ever do want help writing your book, that's actually my little like side like thing I just love to help people with. Um, I've connected with like three authors in the last little while, and I just love hearing about their projects and supporting them as they put that stuff together. So, oh my gosh, yay! Well, then we're going to get to connect more because I will definitely take you up on that. <laughs> awesome, wonderful. So, do you have a title for your book yet? Do you have a release date or anything? Yeah. So the title is your body is not a weapon healing a fractured relationship with food, physique and sexuality. And I am in contact with the publishers. We're aiming for like early November to have it out. 
I'm still waiting to hear back from them to like fully iron out the exact dates, um, but very soon, which is um, really exciting. So that is so exciting. And was the process powerful for you? Was it healing or was it arduous? What did it feel like to actually get your book out? This was the quickest book that I've ever written. Like it just it you felt like six, seven, something like that. But the rest have been like silly little fiction books. Um, so, I'm, so they're, sure they're, they're not awesome, awesome, but okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, this one, like it flowed out of me. Like I had the outline. I knew exactly the chapters I wanted. Wow. I wanted to write this book since 2017. Um, but I definitely wasn't ready because there was so much more that I needed to learn first. And I also needed to process some of the shame and the fear around sharing like the fullness of my story. Cause it's a lot. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And then Kayla, would you be um, open to sharing just a little bit about how the sexuality part plays in? Cause I think that that's also something that is often very much intertwined in, in disorders, in these things where we're, we don't know how to like accept something or understand something about ourselves that may not be like what we thought or what's expected. So I think uh, people could probably relate to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for me, um, my challenges with like food and sexuality both actually started around the same time. I experienced some sexual abuse probably like age six or seven. And right after that time, started binge eating, gained a bunch of weight, and I started acting out sexually. Like I was chasing the boys around at school. I would go hit on like older guys all the time concerning everyone around me. And that sort of behavior kind of continued even into like my early adult years. Mm-hmm. I was like very, very sexual. Like I was like all over the place, um, put myself in some dangerous situations. And on top of that, I also was bisexual as well, which in my family of origin, they were very religious growing up. And that was like not tolerated, not acceptable. Uh, had my actually mom's entire side of the family stop talking to me for the entire time I was dating my female partner. So there was just a lot of sexual shame. And I think it's interesting that people often hear about people being like low sex drive and like almost asexual after a lot of sexual abuse. But mm-hmm. I almost went the opposite way. I was like hypersexual as a result of it. And there there was just a lot of stuff going on there and then to then fall in love with a man again there was some shame there as well because there's a a a subsect of the lesbian community that kind of looks down on bisexual women and they get very outraged when women in female female relationships go back to men and act like the bisexual woman was just experimenting and they wasted the lesbians time and um, they were a fraud, basically. So there was all these things, these like combined elements of like shame around like how I was eating, how I was doing sex, who I was romantically interested in, all these different layers. And at the core of it all was just like shame about who I was yeah. at a soul level. And it was just healing and allowing myself to be who I was. Um, so yeah, they were all very connected for me. I think there is such a connection and I think it's so it comes back still to that, like 
a lot to, well, of course, the shame and confusion and acceptance of ourselves, but also that power thing. There's a great book called, I think it's Food, God, and Love. Some kind Ooh. of combination. Is it, do you know what? Is it Renee? Do you know what I'm talking uh, about? Women, Food, and God by, um, not Brene, uh, Janine Roth. Yes, thank you. Janine Roth. Oh my gosh. I would never, I knew it was something like E. Janine Roth. She, oh my gosh. Anybody struggling with food issues, any woman, I would say in particular, because it's very like female centric. Mm-hmm. I absolutely, I, no pun intended. I ate up all her books because they were just, she has like six of them that just talk about like women struggling with sex, love, spirituality, themselves, acceptance, um, all those things. Mm-hmm. And it's just so powerful because, you know, love, sex, interchangeable. And I agree with you. I had the same response where, um, my, my dr- alcohol abuse, my eating disorder, and also like sexual promiscuity all start at the same time. And it's no coincidence. They're also tied because it's about like, again, our, our sexual, our, our female prowess that we don't know how to make sense of, or we don't know what to do with. So we stifle it and we use other things to try and, you know, and, but also of course, trauma, from our experience. But, um, but anyway, sex in particular, I think is interesting because just as you described, I also would become like hypersexual. And it was because it's, it's also like this power you can play with. Like in some ways it makes you feel again, just like food. It makes you feel like invincible. And like you, you have this power over someone until you don't right. Until you're like, Oh, that's just sex. It's just somebody who wants my body. So how, and I think that in general is like a big conversation that I, I could even, I would even love to have just one podcast episode on is women's sexuality and how it is very, because we're at this interesting time where we're all talking a lot more about power dynamics and feminine, masculine and everything. And we all have a lot of things we're, we're requesting and we want, but we're also trying to manage it as well. If that makes sense. Like in being a woman, it's like, you want to be respected, but at the same time, like I like to be desired. I still sometimes, and sometimes I abuse wanting to get attention still, you know? And to me, that's a part of the, dis, this disorder part. It's like, you know, I want all of it or I want none of it, right? I want to have all the control, but then I'm left with no control with all these things. So it's just a very interesting and fascinating thing with all how all these things are interconnected, interconnected and related. Mm-hmm. It really is. And I was the same way. I was very much like slay the patriarchy. And I hated the way that men would like turn women into like notches on their belt. I'm like, I'll do it first. I'll turn them into my notches. But then, you know hormones, oxytocin, it never works out the way you want it to. And you're like, oh, I actually have feelings for these guys. Why do they just want to sleep with me? Because (laughs) that was the only thing I was offering them. I wasn't like myself. I was just this, this like pursuer. And, and it was like, it was what you mentioned. It was like being intimate, but also lonely because it wasn't real and it wasn't, there was no depth or substance. Yes, absolutely. And it also brings me back to when you were talking about how we, sometimes we say we want something, but we're, we're attached to something else. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I've been in situations where I feel like because a lot of my, um, you know, some of my childhood trauma and struggles, I feel like I identify so much with not being wanted enough or just, or like of of worthy of attention from others that I'm kind of stuck in that. So I've actually had guys tell me where I get all like, well, you don't really like, you know, you just see me as sexual and they're like, well, but that's how you presented. Like, I thought that's what I've had guys tell me. I thought that's what you wanted. Cause I, sometimes I get into that seductress mindset of like, I can wield my sexuality and make you want me. But then it's like, well, that's a, you're, you're doing this to another human, right? That I've had men tell me like, you know, I have feelings too. And I'm like, 
I know. Okay. But sometimes I forget that. Do you know what I mean? It's like, cause I'm caught up in my own drama in my head about like, well, they just want me for my body. So I'll just seduce them with that. But then if you're not giving them a chance to actually have a real connection, and if you're not acknowledging that they're a human being too, that doesn't always just want sex or, you know what I mean? Like we kind of, we create our own reality. So it's, it's about kind of leveling things out and noticing where things are coming from our own blocks, emotional, you know, situations versus what's true. I think the other thing that I found to be true for me was it's almost like we're getting ourselves into situations that somehow like repeat the original wound, like the sexual wounding, whatever it was in hopes that this guy is going to be different. This guy is going to change the pattern. This guy is going to be the one who like actually is safe and actually loves me for me and all these things. And what I found was that that was never the case. And I had to do that work on my own. And then the person who was safe, who was nurturing, who sees me as that full person and fully loves and like honors all of me, they came after I did that work myself. Yeah, I completely agree. It's, I know for me, because it sounds like kind of what you're saying is sometimes you almost, I would seek someone out that was almost like the person that mistreated me or was abusive (laughs) because it felt like if they can, if they can love me, then maybe it meant that that didn't really happen almost like that. Cause I think there's something about when someone abuses you or mistreats you, you want to believe that they wouldn't have really done that, that they weren't really trying to hurt you. There's a lot of women who go back to their exact abuser and I, you know, you hear it described and because they almost don't want to believe that they would, were actually trying to hurt them. So they want to see like, Oh, maybe they'll, they'll love me this time. Maybe that was just like, and we, it's just hard to sit with the fact that we've been abused. And then again, also, I think that we, we keep seeking out that same energy and hoping that maybe this time it'll be different. Maybe we can get an actual loving reception from this same type of person that originally was dismissive, hurtful, abusive. Yes, absolutely. And just to your point, until we realize that that will never be the answer, it all, it has to be within us. We have to, because here's the thing, whenever we're looking for acceptance or approval, the only approval we're really looking for is our own, mm-hmm. right? If we want this, this person to want to date us, it's really because we just want ourselves to say, okay, yeah, you're good enough. If he likes you, then you're good enough. It's not their actual, it's just, it's always inside. So until, like you said, when you finally realize, like, I don't need to try to connect with people like that anymore. Cause I know that my truth, and I know that I'm whole and perfect just as I am that no matter what happened to me, it doesn't change who I am fundamentally, regardless of abuse or struggles with disorders. I'm still like, just as I am, I don't need anything and I don't need to cut out anything either. Right. There's no part of me that's totally marred or, you know, broken because of what happens. It's all still perfect within me. Then we find something healthy because then we are healthy. Yes, for sure. And I, I've heard it kind of phrased as like the permission slip and we're, we're using these external circumstances to create a permission slip to feel a certain way, whether that's getting to a goal weight is going to be the permission for us to feel confident or getting that love relationship is our permission slip to feel happy or getting that amount of money is the permission slip for us to feel safe. But we're the ones choosing that external circumstance 
to be the permission slip. When we're the one that's writing it, we could choose to write the permission slip right now in this moment with our present circumstances and cultivate those feelings now if we chose it. And that's when I realized that I'm like, that is a game changer and that makes everything better. Yes. A hundred percent completely. That's, that's what it is. We're just, we're all making our own rules. And then we're deciding that we have to, but recognizing that we are writing those rules and we can change them. If all of a sudden the only rule is I love myself unconditionally, everything disappears. Like some, something out of like a mystical movie where it's like the the bad guy just, just, just dissipates. And all of a sudden you're like, Oh, I was fine the whole time. And, and again, I'm not minimizing it. It's not that easy because I've been, my battle has been long and arduous and, and it takes longer than that, but it's the journey, right? It's the journey of the soul, the evolution of the being that we come to this realization, almost like the wizard of Oz, where that at the end, Dorothy's like, I had the freaking power the whole time. I didn't need to go on that long journey and find all these people, but what a journey it was, right? She had a great time. She met a lion and a scarecrow, a man and whatever. And <laughs> so, um, yeah, I just think, it's, and that's why I, you know, I think it's important to say that be patient with your healing, with your process. Cause it's all there for a reason. I'm a big believer that we need to go through exactly what we go to through to actually get to resolution. Cause I know I've had times through relapses through another unhealthy relationship where I'm like, really again. And all it is, is it's just saying like, you're not, you need this many times to get the lesson. It takes what it takes right? So I encourage that for anyone who's in the depths of an eating disorder, right? Of a a toxic cycle, whatever it is to just have patience and know that, you know, this is leading you towards that freedom, that healing. And if you're listening to this podcast and what we're talking about, it's because you might just be ready to start healing. So that's good news. (laughs) Very good news. Yes. Wow. Well, Kayla, this has been such a fun time meeting with you and talking. And I really appreciate you and the work that you're doing and for sharing your story and your work with us. Yes. Thank you for having me. It has been a really delightful experience. Super fun. And I'm hoping to be a guest on your show sometime soon. Yes. yes. I was actually thinking as we're talking, I would love to do an episode with you on like sexuality and just taking that deeper dive and talking about like the parallels and, you know, the relationship aspect. And I think that would make an awesome episode if you are interested. Let's do it. Let's do it. I'm so ready. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Kayla, this has been so much fun. We've gone almost a full 90 minutes. That's incredible. So yeah. So thank you for jumping to the opportunity. Um, always awesome to say yes, right? That can be really powerful. Also powerful to say no sometimes, but when you're looking to kind of connect and take those synchronicities, sometimes it can be good to be like, I will do that. Thank you. Yes. Yeah, (laughs) sure. All right, Kayla, we'll have a beautiful weekend. Thanks again. I'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. That wraps up our beautiful conversation with our wonderful guests. Thank you so much for listening to the Women Waken podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please do share it with others and come back for more. If anything you heard resonates, leave a review or send me an email at Whitney at womenwaken.com and check out the website, womenwaken.com. Have a wonderful rest of your day and don't forget to let your light shine and keep an eye out for your special gifts and magic.